This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Guardian Football Weekly. Leeds post-marsh era begins in spirited style, finally pegged back by Manchester United in a brilliant game at Old Trafford. A lot of running, a lot less precision, but that didn't really matter. Certainly for those of us lucky enough, not in the UK and able to see it on TV. Fulham are pushed by Sunderland, but make it through to the fifth round of the Cup. There's a big Premier League preview. Can Arsenal get back on the horse at home to Brentford? Sean Dyche's Everton machine have a Merseyside derby to think about. Should I have been kinder about Hugo Lloris? And it's always great when Leeds Manchester United comes around. Feels like ages since the last one. Also today, a New England squad for the Arnold Clark Cup. Some numbers to go alongside our anti-Brentford agenda, some Subaru-based AI poetry, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Johnny Lou, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Ah, it's a pleasure. Hello, Lucy Ward. Hello. And hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max Rushton. Paul says, are Leeds enjoying a no-manager bounce? Man United 2, Leeds 2. Uh, caretaker manager Michael Skubala in for this game. Lucy, what a brilliant game this was. It was. And I think, to be honest, I think that the powers that be at Leeds and the, the decisions that they've made, this was probably one of their better ones. To, to time the sacking of Marsh, um, two games against Manchester United, when really you could count, particularly last night's one, as a free hit. You could see... The, the pressure was off the players. They had a little bit more belief. But it was a perfect storm as well because obviously Casemiro is missing from Manchester United and Leeds took the chances. And I think that's something that they haven't done in, in recent games. You look at the sort of stats around it, XG, Manchester United were far and above Leeds, but they, they, they took the chances. So, But um, in terms of a good start to both halves, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? Are you saying, Lucy, with, with being in the know, that the players were kind of happier that he wasn't there. I think there's been some rumblings about him. I think it's quite it's quite pertinent that none of the players have really thanked him, and that's usually a thing that happens, isn't it, on Instagram? Even the players that you know are like his sons from the uh, USA squad, I don't think they have either. But um, I think I just think there was a lot of pressure, and I think if it, if he'd have been in charge last night, the crowd would have not been happy to start with the, the Leeds away crowd, and that makes a difference. And I think that makes a difference to the to the players. So, yeah, happy all around. God, I feel so... Johnny, I feel terrible for him that nobody has gone on message to thank him for his help. That is bleak, isn't it? I mean, would you hope when you move on from The Guardian that somebody goes public and says, thank you, Johnny, you're a great servant? Yeah, actually, it reminds me of my 
my um, when I left the Telegraph about five or six years ago, and I, and I booked an area in a pub for fifteen people, and nine turned up. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and like the really crushing bit is when people like in the pub because we're quite busy start leaning over and say, is someone using that, that chair? Is someone using that chair? Eventually the chair is going, is someone using that table? And people start moving tables into their original positions. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I know what Jesse Marsh uh, is feeling like. And also, you know, watching his side play, you know, the kind of free-flowing, unfettered uh, football that was so rarely, you know, was so rarely evident in, in certainly in the, in the last few months in charge. Um, that will probably have, have stung him because they did play... I, they did seem to play a lot more freely, and and it was a really important result for them as well. Because quite apart from how things are going on the pitch, you know, the manager search has been it's not quite gone to plan. You know, they they went for Corberan, and now they're they're looking at Iraola, and and you know they're still not quite certain who's going to come in. So um, they really needed a boost, and and that that was a hell of a performance from them. The owners, and there is a little obviously Rajasthan is still in charge, but the 49ers have quite a lot of influence, which I think is shown in the in the uh, recruitment. But they they sort of planned for one year of a Bielsa's replacement, but they didn't have one ready when they were when it was pretty obvious that Jesse Marsh sacked at similar time of the season um, after supporting him in January this year, and they didn't support Bielsa in January last year, then sacked him, and then did the same to. To Marsh, I think there's probably a little bit more sway for the American part of the ownership than than is to be believed that the fact that you know that they brought the players that they brought in that suit his style, whatever that is, Marsh, and um, you know that they haven't really had anybody in mind or had somebody ready like they did when they got rid of Bielsa. Mm, I, I I did think Barry like like it seemed so frantic that game. The only players that I thought had any calm about them were. The two Lukes, Ailing and Shaw, I thought they were both like they seemed to sort of just delay when they got the ball and sort of pass it sensibly. Everyone else was just running around like a madman, and that was specifically sort of Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney. I thought sort of set the tone of this game. Yeah, it was quite frantic, as you would expect from, I suppose, a game between Leeds and Manchester United. And Leeds seemed to catch United cold at the start of each half, and that's when they scored their two goals the opener coming more or less within a minute or inside a minute. So, I mean, I, I didn't think Leeds' tactics last night were hugely different from what they played during under Marsh. You know, he, he kind of seemed to divide the the pitch into three strips lengthways and, and just focused on playing through the middle. And that's kind of what they did last night as well. And I think there was a... Somebody caught a, a picture of some notes the caretaker manager, Michael Scubala, had written down. And it that was basically keep it tight, keep it, you know, in in the middle strip. It said close middle, believe and be calm. They were the things. That might have been left over from Marsh, though. That might have just been in his pocket. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he might have been wearing Marsh's jogging bottoms or something and that was in the pocket but uh the the b cam um order certainly wasn't followed but yeah the other two i think were to the letter i, I was thinking about marsh's dismissal actually because his first game in charge was a one nil defeat away from home at leicester in which leeds were much the better side and should have won and his final game in charge was a 1-0 defeat away from home against Nottingham Forest, just down the road from Leicester, in which his team were much the better side 
and should have won. And that kind of, I think, sums up his, his entire tenure at the club in which any time I saw them, they often played really, really well, but never got the results they deserved or never seemed to get the results they deserved. So I think he was possibly a little unfortunate, but when I think when he took over, they were 16th place, two points off the bottom. They're much the same position now. It just wasn't working for him. I, I wouldn't write him off as a manager. I, I know lots of Leeds fans have written him off. I would be interested to see what, what happens next for Mr. Marsh. And I'm sure he'll keep, he'll keep us updated on his LinkedIn profile. So we, we'll be able to keep tabs on him. Yeah, we did check his LinkedIn. He's still the coach of Leeds on LinkedIn. So he has to sort of update his bio. But yeah, look, he had a, what 11 wins in 37 games for Leeds. He was only in charge of RB Leipzig for six months. He won eight in 21. So you sort of, you can imagine, you know, people get reputations pretty quickly in football, don't they? And the, uh, that he hasn't really managed to, to get that success as his two um, biggest jobs. But the, the, the thing is, like, he, he got off to a good start this season. I think they got two, seven points out of their, the first nine available. And then there was two draws and six defeats in the league. And then just before the World Cup, they beat Liverpool and they beat uh, Bournemouth. And I think those are the two results that kept him in a job until last Sunday. And uh, But their, their results since the World Cup have been pretty dreadful, three points from 18. Yeah, whoever gets the Leeds job, um, Johnny, has Willie Nonto, who is a total joy, isn't he? I, I love Nonto as a, as a, as a player. Um hadn't seen a huge amount of him in, in, in Switzerland, obviously, before he, before he joined the Premier League. I thought he had an amazing game against uh, Villa, I think it was, a couple of weeks ago, and um, got a lot of praise from Gary Neville, which I think, you know, has, has, has really kind of, not, not the praise from Gary Neville, but that, that performance, I think, has, has really taken him on, on a level. Yeah, he, he was very sharp. I think it was only like, was it four million or something? An incredible purchase. And yeah, he was, he was one of their bright sparks. And, you know, obviously scored within, what was it? What was it, a minute? You know, lovely little one-two. And a, a nice finish into the bottom corner. Uh, he's a bright spark, and I think he's you know he's he's one of those players who, um, if if Leeds are going to play in this kind of, or you know, or, or this, this sort of blitzkrieg style, he's um, he's really you know he's really important for that for the way they want to play. From a Manchester United perspective, Lucy, I, you're you're totally right. Obviously, missing Casemiro and Eriksson is huge. I thought Rashford had absolutely no right. To, to use that cliche, to, to score that header. I mean, it was sort of out of absolutely nothing. The cross wasn't brilliant. It wasn't a lot of pace on it. And it's a different, we've said it before, it's a different Marcus Rashford at the moment. It's a stronger, more powerful player. Yeah, I think it's amazing for for a centre-forward that's scoring goals. Once you get into the groove of scoring goals and confidence, it's very difficult to get out of it, just like it is the other way around. When you, you're not scoring, it's difficult to to then boost yourself out of that. But I think that the thing about Manchester United last night is that I'm not sure the starting lineup was one that the fans looked at and thought and that's the right one against Leeds because Leeds got the first goal from um, the high press and got the second goal from a counter press and and Manchester United knew that that was what was going to happen now what he did do well Ten Hag I think was the substitutes he made I think it made a, a difference it meant because Leeds was trying to keep Rashford quiet which Luke Hayden did really well first half and then moved him with the, with the substitutes that, that were made and he was more effective and then his pace caused a problem but he's absolutely at the top of his game at Rashford at the moment and I think he has everything doesn't he? He's always, he's always had everything um, I think sometimes you just got to get your head 
into the game and and as soon as you start scoring as a as a centre forward, like I say, particularly in a team like that who have the creative players that that create for him. But um, I think that I think Manchester United fans will look at that and think we could have won that, we could have got ourselves back in it. And Leeds United fans are thinking we didn't expect a point uh, and probably a little bit disappointed that we didn't keep the lead. Similarly, so sort of, he's not as far down the track in getting his head right again and getting back in the game. But Jaden Sancho, Barry, we mentioned it in the last pod coming on and getting that ovation. There's no greater feeling than scoring a goal. I mean, he didn't hit it particularly well or in the corner, but it doesn't matter. No, and one presumes that scoring that goal will do him the world of good. Again, we don't really know what was going on behind the scenes or what, uh, why he was sent away to the Netherlands to train on his own, but... I'm going to wheel out the old cliche. It's like having a new signing, isn't it, Max? Uh, it if, if they can get well him done. back and fully firing. So, yeah, good good luck to him. Well, it really will be because he hasn't ever fired for United. I mean, it's not like they've seen him be how he was for Dortmund, I don't think. He, he started quite well, but quickly fizzled out, I think, as if I remember correctly. But, yeah, he, he hasn't... Uh, delivered and you know fans get tremendously excited during transfer windows about potential new signings and getting the player in is is only half the battle they they have to perform and a lot of signings don't work out as yet he hasn't worked out he's he, you would have to say so far he's considering the amount they paid for him he's been a flop but um if they can get him going that will be superb for them. Yeah, I, I always, having worked a lot with young players, just because a, a young player, I always used to think if I can ensure that the player is content away from football, then we'll produce footballers. And that's what I used to stress to the, the hierarchy at, at Leeds when I was at Leeds. You know, if we, if we haven't got happy players, you'll never get them through to the first team. So everything that we're doing and everything you're spending money on in terms of coaching them, etc and paying for them or, you know, transferring them in from other other clubs is, is, is you know, worthless. So, and I think he's still quite a young player. So, if he's not happy, and being a professional footballer, I know everybody jokes about how they'd love to do it and it's easy. It isn't easy because you play well one weekend, you've still got to play well on the Tuesday or the next weekend. You've got to do that constantly, constantly earning your next contract. Yes, you paid a lot of money, but um, there's a lot of pressure involved. And I think at his level, at Manchester United, big big signing, you've still got to remember that the, the human beings and I think that that sort of welfare side of it is is massive because the, if the players are not content, then they're definitely not going to perform. I did once though, Lucy, interview Dimitar, Dimitar Berbatov and said, it looks easy to you being a footballer. We went, yeah, it was. But generally, I think you're right. It isn't easy being a footballer. Alan says, what would be worse, United being owned by the Glazers or United being owned by Qatar? It's a different type of depressing to fans of lower league clubs on certain survival, but it's depressing nonetheless. Yeah, the Emir of Qatar, uh, Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, is reportedly interested in buying Manchester United for four and a half billion. He already owns PSG, which he bought in 2011. Current UEFA rules do not allow clubs with the same owners to face each other in one of its competitions. So apparently, if Qatar owned Manchester United and Qatar owned PSG, wouldn't be able to play each other in the Champions League. Um, I, I can't see how that would happen. But anyway, what, what do you make of that possibility, Johnny? Well, it, I mean, it's obviously still at an early stage. Um, according to according to reports, Qatar have, they basically asked Rain, who are, who are handling the sale for the Glazers, for the, the documents that, that they need to do their due diligence, which I think is, is basically like, you know, going into the, the estate agent and getting, you know, getting the, the pack. Yeah, the pack, right. It doesn't commit you to anything. 
but you know, it, it, it does seem like there that there is a kind of a concrete interest there. The 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 issue, I guess, initially is, is going to be the fee because I think the Glazers want somewhere in the region of six to eight million. Quite apart from the amount you need to invest in the in the squad, um, the redevelopment of, of Old Trafford and Carrington is probably going to going to be another one or two billion on top of that. So you know, it's you know, once they sort out the numbers, that that's probably that's probably the main obstacle initially. Then of course, you know, you have the other various issues with Qatar owning a football club. The, the the UEFA kind of the UEFA regulations over owning more than one club. I can't from the outside. You can't possibly see how they how they get around that, and yet. That is why billionaires hire lawyers. And when uh, the owner of PSG and and United uh, goes to the executive committee of UEFA and says, "Excuse me, please, can I, uh, you know, can, can we sort of finesse these regulations? Is there is there some sort of arrangement that can be made, NASA? Uh, yes, NASA, there can. <laughs> I imagine that there are people paid far more than me to to, to find a way around it. Um, it. It's obviously it obviously stinks from a moral perspective. It, it stinks from almost. Uh, any perspective that you look at it and I think United fans have not necessarily a duty but I think you know they are they're well organized and they like to think that they have a a kind of a a conscience to them they 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 mobilized uh in a in a really kind of stirring way against the Glazers in 2005 and I think for it would be nice to see some sort of similar organization again if this Qatar thing comes to pass um, because I think I know a lot of United fans who think their club is 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 better than this. With with regard to those Manchester United protests and fans mobilising, they tend to mobilise and protest when results aren't going their way, and then when things start to improve on the pitch, they generally pipe down and stop protesting, and the green and gold scarves tend to disappear. Oh yeah, when they signed when they signed Ronaldo, they were you know they were this was this was what a few months after the Super League protests and, and a few, you know a few months after that that massive protest ahead of the Liverpool game and and then you know they signed Cristiano Ronaldo and um, and they were jumping up and down in the in the stands at Molyneux. So yeah, football fans are they are emotional people, aren't they? With regard to um, Qatar, sort of getting the pack from the Rain Group, I'm just curious you you liken it to an estate agent, even if Qatar decide they don't want to buy the thing that's up for sale, will the estate agent continue to <laughs> ring them like on a weekly basis for the next five years of going, would you like to, would you like another pack? <laughs> we've got an interesting, we've got a pack we think you might like. Do you like Staley Bridge? Staley Bridge has just come up for sale. Um, Monfu says it's scandalous that we have to watch Manchester United leads from internet streams instead of one of several UK providers which we pay horrendous yearly subscriptions to bloody scandalous this was scheduled to be a three o'clock Saturday game which is but it wasn't played because the Queen died and this is the game this is the time it was rearranged to but my understanding is they couldn't put it on TV because it it was previously a three o'clock Saturday game it does Lucy seem slightly ridiculous doesn't it that I could watch it very easily in Melbourne. Johnny, you're in Berlin right now, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it was on Sky Sports. Yeah, yeah, it was on, yeah, there you go. So it was on in Germany. Um, whereas, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get either of you in trouble. You both went abroad for the day to uh, to watch the game, but um, it does seem ridiculous, doesn't it? I'm not against, I'm not against, the, I, I'm, I'm quite pro the 3pm blackout, but I suspect I'm in a minority. But if it's on a Wednesday night, then stick it on. 
I really thought it was going to be on, but I, it was an interesting way of watching it in my house. It was um, a combination of my nephew WhatsApping me and Twitter. That's how I watched it. It was brilliant, honestly. Get in there was the first one that I got after about 40, 55 seconds and then, then followed it from there and then obviously um, watched the highlights. And So, yeah, I didn't break the law, Baz. Well, I was watching the only game in town, which was Sunderland-Fulham. <laughs> so uh, I'm surprised we didn't lead with that one, to be honest. Well, we'll do that in just a second uh, at the top of part two. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so then, Barry, Sunderland 2, Fulham 3. Look, you pushed them close, didn't you? They always had the lead, but it was a really good game. It was a great game and uh, another good performance from Sunderland who, who came up a little short. Um, certainly no disgrace in defeat, uh, even though they were at home and had a, the... Uh, I've, I've been hugely impressed with them in those two games against Fulham, but it was a very sort of second-string Fulham side. They were always in the lead, but... There, uh, Marco Silva was forced to bring on the big guns and that's I suppose a testament to a very very spirited Sunderland performance yeah we've talked about Diallo who, who's great I thought Patrick Roberts I haven't seen a lot of him his balance is is amazing I was looking at his you know he played England under 17s 18s 19s 20s he could play for Ireland it could be a reverse Jack Grealish you could you could get in there but he's a lovely footballer yeah he, he was uh, at Manchester City wasn't he and yeah, he was at Fulham, Fulham originally. I think that Man City nicked him as a kid, so that that is a good example of making sure you pick the right pathway. But he's finding his feet now. I think he's 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 always been very good. Yeah, but he he this is, seems to be the first time he's sort of settled anywhere and found found got his legs under the table or his feet under the table in at any club because he he was on a a load of different loan spells. I think he was at Celtic for a while, if I remember correctly, and. But yeah, he he's great. Jack Clark, Ahmed Diallo, Juice and Bennett came off the he another teenager, he came off the bench and scored. They've they've a, a very promising young side there at Sunderland. Yeah, well, well done, Fulham. Let's uh, look ahead to the Premier League games this weekend. Um I, I, you know, the, it'd be interesting to see Johnny how Arsenal do. I mean, they're home to Brentford, you'd expect them to win, but having lost to Everton, I guess nothing is off the table now. I know it's a rejuvenated get it launched Everton but even still they were flat at that in that game and and they haven't had to respond very often this season have they 
Yeah, I mean, Arteta did say after that game, you know, you can, you know, it, it is basically all about the reaction. If you don't, you don't get too, you don't get too elated when you win, and, and you don't get too down on it when you lose. And and I think that that's what every that's what everybody is going to be watching for the reaction. Everton rattled them, possibly even got in their heads a little bit. Brentford are a team that are, you know, whether it's in the transition or or whether it's kind of they kind of settle into their defensive structure, they can they can do the same. You know, they they set up to to frustrate teams and, and and pick at their pick at their weak spots, and and they they can be competitive as well. So it's a dangerous game for Arsenal. I mean, I I, I kind of expect them to. I, I feel like the Everton game was a was a blip. I, I didn't I haven't seen kind of a, a decline in performance that that would sort of that, that I didn't see that that result coming in, in that in that sense. So. I feel like they'll they'll get back on um, they'll get back on it. Lots of interesting games on Saturday. Barry Southampton Wolves is another three o'clock kickoff. Um, it'll be interesting to see how aggressive Nathan Jones's Southampton side are. Yeah, there was a suggestion Nathan might uh, be handed his P forty five earlier this week, and uh, he's been given a stay of execution. I suspect if they lose this game at home to Wolves, which is a very real possibility. You, that's got to be that, doesn't it? No, God, we, we love Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones is just it's just amazing. Barclays, he's just great content. I just can't work out why Southampton thought it was a good idea to hire him. Honestly, it's same as Marsh. He reads a lot of leadership books, but then the difficult thing is to put it into practice. I think he's a, a similar one to, one to that. It's very very strange appointment. I've noticed actually um, our our pal Jake Humphreys is uh, doing the high performance podcast is currently on a live tour and you know I don't know Max taking podcasts on the road that could be something we should possibly look into some say it might be too niche but I I can imagine Nathan Jones and Jesse Maris being in the front row of that at the Palladium you know um, scribbling things down. There is such a market for leadership books and, you know, sort of that kind of chat, you know. And I don't know, it's not just like become a millionaire in eight minutes, just follow me down the road and take these magic beans. But surely there must be some people who are good at that. You know, there, there must be a... Is it all bollocks? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Has, has anyone read one? I, I, I would read a, I would read a Barry self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every page would just be Barry going like, I don't know you're on your own. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something to it. Um, anyway, I wish him the best of luck on on that tour. What were we talking about? Um, oh yes, oh, no, Nathan, Nathan Jones. Jones. Yes, David Squire said. I, I tweeted out. I finally found out who he reminded me of, and it's that amazing clip of that man from the '60s with a massive moustache, like a northern fella sitting in the back of his garden, talking about how he just beat up a shark once or something like it's like i don't know who he is very famous it's a very famous sort of i don't know look nathan jones did an undeniably good job at luton twice and doing that undeniably good job got him a gig at stoke which went disastrously for him and then got him a gig at southampton which is looks to be heading the same way and you just wonder what why he can't cope with the step up? Is he just unlucky or what is it about Luton that makes him, that he can do so well there? I, I don't know. It's, it's weird. 
And if he does get sacked by Southampton, wh where does he go next? Because the Luton job isn't going to come up anytime soon because Rob Edwards is doing a brilliant job there. You, you know the story about the ping pong table? Oh, no. Do you know, do you know the story? So at, at Luton, all the, all the players had a, had a ping pong table and Nathan, Nathan Jones was started to worry that they were spending too much time playing ping pong. So he got he took the, the ping pong table out, put it on the middle of the pit and set fire to it. I, I think he either trashed it and then set fire to it or he just set fire to it, uh, basically, as an example. Yeah, I mean, you've got to love that. I know, like, clearly he's not very good, right? Clearly he's not very good and people don't really like him, uh, you know. And, and But it's, it's just great to, like, he, somebody who doesn't really care what you think of him. Nathan Jones answers to, to basically, he answers two higher powers, the almighty and sport republic. You know, what, what you think of him is, is kind of, like, just give us another three months of him, please. What job, what, what chapter of the, you know, of the, you know, high-performance book says burn the ping pong table i don't know anyway tom says is hugo Lloris's injury a blessing in disguise for spurs he's been ruled out for six weeks um got a knee injury in the game against man city to go to leicester uh, they've had two wins in a row including that win over man city um fraser forster comes in what do you think johnny is that is that really bad news? I just, I don't know how good Fraser Forster is anymore. I don't think he's that good. I mean, he's, he's all right, Fraser Forster. But I, I think if, if Laurie said, you know, if this had happened to Reese and they had somebody like Golini or Gazaniga, uh, who, who they've had in previous seasons, somebody uh, who can come in and, and really command a defence, then, I, you know, I think Spurs fans might feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Laurie's, you know, quite apart from his, his goalkeeping ability, he's, he's a leader in that dressing room. He is one of the, he has a real influence uh, in terms of organising the defence, in terms of being a voice in, in that dressing room, and and whether Forster has that that same presence, I'm not sure. You know, we all have, like we all like to have a little laugh at Larice because he's he's definitely you know a goalkeeper in decline. But is Forster an upgrade? I'm not so sure. Bournemouth play Newcastle uh, the five thirty game on Saturday. Feel Barry that Gary O'Neill really needs something and fast. Yeah, he does absolutely. Well, it looks like they should have just left him in caretaker charge indefinitely because it's all gone horribly wrong for him since he got the job full-time. I'd give Boromir a chance in this game because they're at home and Newcastle aren't playing particularly well at the moment by the sort of high standards they set earlier in the season. But he does need a win, definitely, and... You wonder, I, I'm guessing that that Las Vegas billionaire didn't buy Bournemouth. He didn't want a championship side. Like I think he, he was interested in buying an MLS side, but Bournemouth was a far cheaper proposition. They're in the Premier League. He didn't buy them to get relegated and and go down to the championship. So he has big plans for them. Um, I think he wants to build a new stadium on what is currently their training ground, and uh, relegation to the championship is not part of that plan. The early kickoff uh, um, on Saturday's West Ham Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea off the back of two goalless draws. Lucy, it's very. I mean, there's something. There was something funny about buying that many attacking players and not scoring goals, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite interesting, Chelsea, because I did the, the first Fulham-Chelsea game where there's a little bit of pressure on, on Graham Potter and then they lost. Uh, but then since then, they've bought, obviously, some unbelievable players. And I think Enzo, we saw um, in his first start after arriving probably the day before, the quality that he's got. So I think the Chelsea fans are, are 
feel a little bit calmer about it. But still, yeah, like you say, that um, I think the thing about Chelsea is, I think in the background, and this has not really been talked about, I think there's been a lot of change at the training ground. And our footballers accept that, that their industry is full of change, that they'll move clubs, that managers will change. But I think the one thing that they rely on and the comfort is when they go in the training ground every day, that similar people are there. So whether it's the people that are on reception, whether it's the security guards, physios, and I think they've changed a lot of the medical staff. And I think that, along with new players coming in, it doesn't take much um, to make these sensitive players um, just a little bit out of their comfort zone. And I think that hasn't helped, along with obviously the changing manager. I think all that is, has been a little bit of a perfect storm in terms of not being settled um, on the pitch. But West Ham seem to have sorted themselves out. It's quite interesting. I followed West Ham quite a bit last year in the Europa League and... Moyes did so well last last year, and I think it's been said a few times. He's just been a victim of of his own success, and their strength last year, West Ham's, was a small squad, which was 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 a pro, but also it was a con because obviously once injuries hit and they didn't have enough uh, centre forwards, but that that small squad meant that the first eleven was basically guaranteed with a couple of subs that might come on and, and replace, and that means that you have a real togetherness. Adding good players to that then upsets the balance of it, and I don't think that they've sort of got an equilibrium this this season from from that and not got the strong group cohesion that they had last year but um he he David Moyes is such a fantastic job he's probably probably even now in terms of maybe you know underperforming this year and hopefully that he will uh look to this game and, and they, they, they look like they're getting some positive results lately as well Leeds Manchester United is on Sunday. Hopefully, the players haven't taken their kit off. They've just gone. They're just sitting in it from last night, waiting to go back out again. Uh, Michael says, "Have Man City been relegated yet? Are they home to Aston Villa?" Uh, Pete says, "Regarding the rumours of a Man City player staff member supposedly leaking financial info to the investigation, who do you think it was, and how much was it definitely Joe Hart as revenge for Pep bombing him out?" Just wondered, Johnny, what you make of uh, you know that story? We talked about it in detail yesterday. I, I think. Like there, there, there are a lot of kind of red herrings here, and I think the main one is it's you know this this whole debate over whether FFP is fair or not. I, I think it's kind of less it's less um it's it's of less interest to me whether City like physically by the letter of the law broke the rules. I think we all kind of we all kind of know what they've done, whether it's illegal or not. I guess is for is for lawyers to decide, but you know. The broad brushstrokes of what they did are, are kind of unmistakable. They they flooded the Premier League. With money, you know, all, all the teams that got they got thumped by by City, all the teams that missed out on trophies or, or you know missed out on Champions League places uh, because they had there, there was a team that that just that they would never ever go to compete with. That's the you know that's the legacy of City. Whether or not they've broken the rules or not, that's what they've done. Uh, on Monday, Liverpool Everton. So we'll do a pod on Monday, but but worth chatting about it for a second. Coffee Junkie says with a resurgent Everton and a good Newcastle coming up on the schedule, which will happen first? Your Subaru is found, or Liverpool win a football match? It's such a brilliant that, that result, Barry, for Everton makes this re- fixture just fascinating, doesn't it? Yeah, and I would give Everton every chance of winning this game at Anfield, and if they do, I would be. Absolutely fascinated to see what the reaction is from Liverpool fans, because uh, <laughs> I, I I can't envisage a time when they ever turn on Klopp. I mean, they may at some point in the distant future, but it it would really leave them in a bit of a dilemma. Like Liverpool are a mess at the moment on the pitch and off the pitch. 
they have a lot of injuries, but they're not playing well. Uh, Jurgen Klopp seems at a complete loss to get to the bottom of whatever it is that's going wrong. While I have no skin in the game, I, I, I would love to see Everton win this game, if only just to see what happens next. Before we end part two, uh, we've had a few messages about the earthquake in, in Turkey and Syria that's so far cost more than 12,000 lives. Um, a Turkish goalkeeper, Ayup Turkeslan, uh, lost his life. Christian Atsu's agent says the footballer's whereabouts are unknown. A day after it was reported he was pulled from the rubble of a building with injuries. Um, following yesterday's update from the club that Christian be pulled out alive, we are yet to confirm uh, where he is, uh, is what his agent says. Aaron says, I'm an avid listener from the States. I am from Turkey. Any thoughts on the disaster? Would it be possible to urge people to donate? The situation is much worse than anyone can imagine. Cenk says, hi, Max. I'm Cenk from Turkey. I follow you and your daily podcast with Baz. Your podcast makes my day happier every time. This time I need your support for my country's relief efforts. There will be lots of ways to donate. One example is the Red Cross. Donate.redcross.org.uk slash appeal, slash Turkey, hyphen Syria, hyphen earthquake, hyphen appeal. But if you Google the Red Cross, it will take you uh, direct to that. Um, but yeah, thank you for getting in touch. And of course, um, we extend our, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers to every single person affected by that tragedy. And that will do for part two. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Serena Vigman announced her squad for the Arnold Clark Cup. Uh, she said it's too soon to bring Beth Mead back in. Said the Arsenal forward's doing well and beside her knee injury, she wanted her to be okay and get settled with the situation and sadness she had around her after the death of her mum on the 7th of January. I don't want her to look too far forward now because of her situation. I also left out Beth England and the midfielders Lucy Staniforth and Jordan Nobbs. They've all changed clubs in January, stating their desire to make the World Cup squad as the motivation to seek out more playing time. At Lucy Bronze, Jess Carter, Leah Williamson, Frank Kirby, Lauren Hemp and Laura Coombs returned to the squad, having missed out. Um, on the camp in November. Uh, Gabby George, Esme Morgan and Nikita Paris have been left out. I, I think, Lucy, that you know, Serena, Serena Vigman wants to try things, doesn't really care about the Arnold Clark Cup. The opposition aren't that brilliant and it is all about the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, obviously she's done an absolutely fantastic job and the thing is, I think the thing I like most about Serena Vigman is she's so un-FA as she could possibly be as an England manager, just because she just gets things done and she doesn't always play the way that, that um, you know, that, that the, the FA would want an England manager to play. She plays to win. And I think that obviously that's something that she's looking to, because they've got a good chance, England, you know, that, that the, the result against the USA, obviously USA was struggling at that point. But, you know, they'll go in there and think that, we could win this. We could, you know, the the, the confidence they got from last season. 
the thing that England have because of the, the last few years of the WSL being um, uh, full time and full time professional, it's not just that. It's the years of the 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 FAs under fifteen, seventeen, all those teams coming up. That is the feeding into the senior team. And now we're getting girls who have been coached by proper coaches that uh, have been allowed to play and have trained a lot and played at competitive level, now getting to, to, to the near the senior team. So this England team is just going to get better and better because some of the young players coming through are, 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 are fantastic. Obviously, we've seen Lauren James, a lot of her. I think technically she is the best player we've had in this country since, since Kelly Smith. And those of you who know about women's Football. Kelly Smith was an unbelievable, probably the best player I've ever played against. But she, but Lauren James is just a, a, another level. She has got the technical, you know, the, the technical ability that is probably going to make her the best player in the world at some point. Can has will she get all the facets together, physical, mental, etc. Um, so there's a lot to be happy about about the England team, and and um, I think it's just the balance for Serena Vigman now because of the. Some of the um, retirements she had after the Euros, Ellen White, Jill Scott, etc. It's just getting the balance right between the experienced players she'll have in that squad and the young, exciting ones coming through. Because when it's a tournament, it's completely different. It's about Jill Scott. Everybody talk about Jill Scott. Why, why is Jill Scott in the Euros squad? Now, apart from being an excellent player with lots of experience, she makes, and you can, everybody saw that from, from I'm a Celebrity, she makes everything comfortable in the background because you've got to spend a lot of time with each other and there's a lot of competition and, and, I, and I think you've got to make sure that that squad is right um, and that is, I think, probably her biggest challenge. Are you saying that like I'm a Celebrity would be a good thing for young footballers to go on to sort of learn the dynamics <laughs> of addressing? I mean, I didn't, I didn't see Jill Scott on I'm a Celebrity. I'm sure she was excellent. I, I didn't watch much of I'm a Celebrity, but I saw the very first episode. And this is before they'd even gone into the jungle. And within three minutes, I had put quite a substantial bet on Jill Scott to win because it was quite obvious she's going to win this. Just You, you could just tell. The only thing that would prevent her winning was illness or having to leave the camp for some reason. In, in Australia, is your equivalent of I'm a celebrity just a load of Australian celebrities in like I don't know Epping Forest or something do they just they just parachute a load no they go to Kenya I think obviously they can't go to Australia so they have to go you know and I don't know where the Kenyan I'm a celebrity goes Yahoo <laughs> serious and I don't know where it's just a <laughs> Harold Bishop <laughs> exactly it's it's Nick Kyrgios Mrs Mangle and Alf Stewart every single year <laughs> Um, uh, uh, also happening at the moment is the FIFA World Club Cup. Uh, Real Madrid beat Al Ali 4-1 yesterday to set up a place in the final with Al Hilal, who defeated Flamengo 3-2 on Tuesday. The final's in Morocco on Saturday, 7pm UK time. Uh, there is a free live stream on FIFA's website if you're interested. Belgium have named Domenico Tedesco as the new head coach to replace Roberto Martinez. Uh, he was last uh, in place at RB Leipzig. Um, Joe Allen renounced his retirement from international football uh, our friend Ellis James has reacted as you'd expect. One of my all-time favourites in a Welsh shirt. And then he wrote some Welsh, which, I mean, I could read out. Unor Gurion Diolch am Bopeth Joe. Uh, well, I know Diolch is the Welsh for thank you. So thank you, Joe. 
An era is coming to an end and I'm absolutely fine with it and taking it well, he said. Anyway, uh, Tom says, I was listening to Monday's episode, uh, 6th of February, this one. My ears pricked up when you discussed the lack of Brentford talk on the podcast. Just like the emailer, I'm also a Brentford fan. And a couple of years ago, when Brentford was still in the championship, I had a conversation with my mate about how little our teams get mentioned. We ended up disagreeing over who got the most recognition. Therefore, we started keeping a daily tally of the mentions our teams got each season. I can tell you that this season, there have been 145 unique Brentford mentions so far. And last season, it was 214. We've kept the competition going. But for me to win now, Brentford have to get 12 times the mentions that his championship team gets. To help you avoid mentioning his team again, I should say that it rhymes with Cerningham Bitty. And they have 12 mentions, mainly from being confused with other teams. A big obligatory thank you for the pod. It really brightens my day and helped me get through my own mental health struggles as I was completing my PhD. You can add platelet and mega karyocyte immunology to your collection of associated PhDs. Thanks again, Tom. I love the idea of people with a, you know, just a little, like, you know, years served in prison on a, just like, just counting them up. Mentions of Brentford and Birmingham City. On the subject of not mentioning teams, um, we upset Millwall uh, fans doing well in the championship and Bolton doing well in League One by not mentioning them yesterday. Uh, Simon says, following on from Ben Fisher and pretentious bars in Bournemouth, the bar on the pier is called Aruba and is 100% pretentious. You can't have a pretentious bar called Aruba, can you? I used to go there when I was younger and trying to pull, he says. And uh, this is from Mike. says, hi, everyone. I chucked a load of random Football Weekly stuff into an AI content generator and asked it to write a poem about Max's stolen car and I thought you might enjoy it. Here we go. Max Rushton's car was gone, stolen in Australia's dawn, leaving him with a heavy heart and a search that had to start. Jonathan Wilson lent a hand. Barney Ronay searched the land. Troy Townsend joined the quest for Max's car. They would not rest. Sid Lowe's ham in hand at the garage. Nicky Bandini scoured the terrain. Lars Sivertson followed each lead. Their search was surely inhumane. Barry Glendenning remembered his banned train ride in Munich, so dire. But he put it aside to help Max. For his car, they'd not tire. Mark Langdon's love of butter was forgotten for this quest and Philippe Claire joined the hunt for Max's car. They would do their best. Like a trophy in the Carabao Cup, they searched and searched, but to no avail. Max's car still could not be found, leaving Max's heart to wail. But their spirits would not be broken. They would not give up the fight. For Max's car, they would keep searching until they saw it in sight. Um, makes me feel, Barry, like we've still got a few years before AI really <laughs> takes over. So. <laughs> Generally. William Wordsworth yes, isn't going to be shitting himself. <laughs> I think it's turning in his grave, not shitting himself. I think that's the phrase <laughs> for the people that have passed on from this model coil. Um, <laughs> Didn't have trains in Wordsworth's day, so. It's true. Um, and finally, Max says, is it possible uh, that you uh, just give me a mention of happy birthday. Much love, Max in Brussels, Belgium. Long time listener since 2008. Could you wish Max a happy birthday, Barry? A happy birthday, Max in Brussels, Belgium. Um, yes. <laughs> have have a great day. <laughs> I'm, I'm worried, Johnny, that I missed one of because quite often you do an understated gag and I miss it completely. Move on. I didn't hear what your gag was about Wordsworth. I feel maybe the moment has gone now, but I didn't laugh outrageously because i didn't quite catch it i would like to apologize for that and for other jokes that i have missed it's okay it was it was about you know barry said wordsworth won't be shitting himself and i said well there weren't trains in wordsworth day so, <laughs> pause for laughter 
<laughs> it was good. It was good. Um, anyway, that'll do for today's pod. Uh, thanks, Lucy. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks. Thanks, Barry. Cheers, Max. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove with Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanders. This is The Guardian. Thank you.